Good morning, Orchard Hill. How are you? Good. It's good to be together with you as the body of Christ today. I want to invite you to open your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be all throughout Ephesians chapter 5 today, so I want to invite you to keep those Bibles open. All month long, we have been in a series called Alive in Christ, all about the book of Ephesians. And we have heard over and over again about what our identity is. Our identity is children of God, the body of Christ, those brought from death to life. And more recently, we started looking at what it means for us to live by God's power into that identity. Last week, Pastor Tim, who was visiting with us, talked about what it looks like for us to live as children of the light, to live into that identity. And this week, we're going to be talking about how we, as children of the light, let the way we live affect our relationships with one another. But before we begin that, we need to understand that everything we are going to read today, they're called household codes, about how we live in relationship with one another. Everything we're going to read today actually springboards from some really important Greek that Pastor Tim went over in his verses last week. So bear with me as we go through a little bit of a Greek lesson. But it's important for us to understand that in order to view these verses we're about to get into with a proper understanding. So last week, Pastor Tim ended his sermon by reading this verse. Ephesians 5 verse 21 says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The verses we're reading today pick up in verse 22 where it says, Wives, submit to your husbands. But that word submit isn't actually in that first verse. It's implied from verse 21 continuing on, which tells us that everything in this section, the way wives and husbands are to, to live together, the way parents and children are to interact, the way slaves and masters are to interact, is all under this participle in Greek, submit to one another. The way the body of Christ is supposed to live is in mutual submission to one another. And if we go even further back, an even more crucial understanding is in verse 18. Pastor Tim talked about this last week, but look with me at verse 18. It says this, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. Be filled with what? The Spirit. Yeah, we're awake this morning. I love it. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Paul is using two imperatives we call commands here in the Greek. One is something we're not to do. Don't get drunk. It's a command. The other one is instead of being drunk, he commands us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This command to be filled with the Holy Spirit is for all of God's people. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the command. And the fruit of that way of living, of spirit-filled living, is shown in the participles that follow, which are five. Paul says, if you are filled with the Spirit, if you are following this command, then this is what you will do. You will speak to one another 
in a specific way. You will sing and make music in your hearts. You will give thanks. And the last participle that goes with following life in the Spirit is submitting to one another. So as we read our verses today about how we're to live in relationship with each other as children of God, it's important we understand this is all, all the way we live together is following the command of Paul to first be filled with the Spirit. And as we are filled with the Spirit, the fruit of that is living in mutual submission to one another in Christ. And that is good news. Um, so with that being said, brothers and sisters, would you turn with me? Uh, we're going to start in verse 22 of Ephesians 5 and hear the word of the Lord. Ephesians 5 will actually start in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor, but when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for ever good, whatever good he does, whether he is a slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, to God. Thanks be to God. Yes. Well, we start this passage again with submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That command, being filled with the Spirit, looks like mutual submission. But what does it mean to mutually submit to one another out of the Spirit of the Lord? Well, the Greek word here, Hippotasso literally means to arrange under. 
So when we're talking about how we submit to one another, it's that same word that we see throughout the New Testament when God calls his people to arrange their lives under the law of God. He calls us to arrange our lives under Christ as head, as his church. He calls us, even in our, the way we worship and the way we live in the body together, to arrange, to submit ourselves under the authority of the elders of the church. This idea of mutual submission means to arrange our lives in such a way that, that we have structure and we're thinking about the good of the other person. As we see in Philippians 2, Paul talks a little bit about this. His call to Christians is this. He says, be one in spirit and of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but the interests of others. This is a deep-rooted love that stems only from someone who is first filled with the Spirit of God because they have known the love of the Lord. This kind of mutual submission, that kind of radical, sacrificial love was shown to us by Jesus. This means loving someone else, mutually submitting, loving someone else the way Christ would love them. This means, as Paul said, loving someone as you love yourself, wanting what you want for that other person as much as you want it for your own life. This isn't just a quality. As one scholar puts it, a quality can happen without love. This is more than a quality. It's an equality rooted in love that treats others the way we want to be treated. This kind of mutual submission and love can only happen when we are first filled with the Spirit of God and rooted in Him. So as we look at each one of these, these ways we live, we keep that in mind together. And the way that we live, the way these, are, these chunks are described, wives and husbands, children and parents, slaves and masters, these are called household codes. This wasn't some random grouping that Paul decided, you know, I think I'll write about husbands and wives, slaves and, and masters, children and parents. This was a very common way for philosophers of the day, the Greek, the Roman, the Jews, to dictate a way of ethics of life to people. So this is a very common thing to see in society. Household codes are normative. Paul wrote in a non-normal way. See, Christians were being accused of trying to tear society to the ground. The way that Christians lived was radical. The idea that we're going to see in Scripture, the idea that husbands and wives, that men and women, that children and parents, that slaves and masters are equal in the sight of God, that they're called to mutual submission, that they all have a place at the table. No, no, no. <laughs> that did not happen in the society of the day. In fact, the, the, these household codes that were written to the Greeks, the Jews, the Romans, their household codes didn't even include the person of responsibility. They told children how they were to behave. They told wives how they were to serve their husbands. And they told slaves what they were expected. But the masters the husbands, the parents, there were no directions towards them because they were considered above that. They could do what they wanted. 
So Paul flips culture radically on his head by including often more instruction to the person of power and responsibility in the relationship. And he did this because Christians needed to be able to show the world how to live wisely in the spirit in a culture that thought they were trying to tear it to the ground. And he wanted to show the culture in the way that he wrote and in the way he exhorted his brothers and sisters to live that Christians weren't actually tearing the culture to the ground. Instead, the fruit of a life lived in the spirit would be beneficial to everyone in the society. So while we dive into these codes, whether you're married or you're not, whether you have children or not, and so on, I want you to consider the heart of what Paul is exhorting his brothers and sisters to do, to live lives in the spirit that are mutually submissive to one another in Christ. So our first section looks at spirit-filled living and mutual submission through the lens of Christian marriage. Now what's ironic is this passage for years, we know this, has been used for the degradation of women, whether intentionally or unintentionally. But what Paul is actually doing here is quite opposite. He's uplifting women into a place of equality with men before God. And again, this is unheard of. The gospel did something that was unheard of in society at the time. Because in Paul's culture, women were considered lesser. They were devalued. They were not allowed an education. They couldn't even live oftentimes in the same part of the house as men. If they wanted to do weaving, they weren't even allowed to sit in their doorway and look at what was going on in the world outside as they wove. That would have been absolutely scandalous. They weren't given the same privileges as men, and they were expected to be under the authority of a man for their whole lives, almost slave-like to husbands. And husbands of the day. Husbands of the day and the culture rarely had to do anything more than provide food and shelter for the wife. The wife was the one with the obligations to her husband. And so here again, this mutual submission and spirit-filled life that Paul talks about when he shares with us how wives and husbands are to live in relationship in the spirit with one another is absolutely radical. This kind of relationship between husband and wife, one where Paul calls the husband to love his wife, not just to provide food for her and to tolerate her, but to absolutely lavish his wife with the same self-sacrificial love that Jesus gave the church would have been radical and unknown. Paul is calling for a mutuality of love, one where the husband truly loves her and gives himself up for, for her good. And wives, wives in the same way are to show their love for husbands by submitting to them. This doesn't mean blindly obeying every non-God-oriented command that any man in her life gives her. This means submitting to the person she has joined in union with, who is submitting to God as he loves her. And that's radical. It's beautiful, especially for this culture where women were considered nothing. These two things work together. Paul says, husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her to make her pure. He set her apart as his one and only. He cherished her 
He valued her. He put her good ahead of his own life and went to the cross for her. And wives, when you have a husband who is loving you in the spirit, in the Lord in this way, what fear do you have in loving your husband in submission, in respect, in showing him his value and his worth by the way you live with him? God ordained the relationship to be one of mutual submission where the husband sacrificially loves his wife as he loves himself and the wife loves and respects the head of the home, which is the husband. This kind of relationship, especially friends today, in the face of a culture we live in where over 50% of marriages end in divorce, this kind of relationship can only happen. This ideal, Christ-calling love of mutual submission can only happen when we are first filled with the Holy Spirit and we are seeking the good of the other, that mutual submission. It can't happen by the way culture does relationship. It couldn't happen the way the world in Paul's day did relationships. It had to happen by both parties seeking the good of the other above themselves because they were first filled with the spirit this is a beautiful beautiful way of living and this points us to something even more beautiful christ's example of marriage here points us to jesus and the church christ's relationship with his bride as the wife is called to submit to the husband we know that jesus is our ultimate example of submission isn't he Jesus was perfectly submitted to the will of God the Father. So submitted that it brought him from heaven to earth to live a life of service. It brought him on earth to the cross to give his life on behalf of his bride from the cross to hell and from hell to resurrection. Jesus was the perfect example of loving submission and trust to the Father. And Jesus was also the ultimate example we get of the sacrificial love that husbands are called in this mutuality to have for their wives. As he loved the church so much and wanted her good so much as Romans tells us, he gave his blood to wash her. He gave his life to make her clean. And one day he's coming back again to fully restore her. Yes, in Christ, in this marriage analogy in Christ, we see the perfect example of what it looks like for a bride and a groom to live in loving relationship with one another. It goes further, Paul says that in a marriage, a husband and wife become one flesh. The two are one. And he says, this is a mystery that God has revealed to me. God is talking about Christ and the church. We are one, just as husband and wife will come together as one flesh. We in Christ are one as his bride with him. We are one with the spirit of God. We are one with his son. Brothers and sisters, that means whether you like it or not, we are one with the people in this room because it is one body that is connected to the head that is Christ. Hear that theme of unity that we've been talking about throughout this series again. As we are one in the spirit as the body of Christ, we are one with one another. But this mutual submission that totally 
outraged the culture. That was nothing like they had ever seen. As husbands and wives in this day started to live in mutual submission, sacrificial love, and submitting love to one another, the culture was astounded because they did it in the spirit-filled power of the Lord. And it started changing things. This Christian marriage is the first example of household codes we get of what it looks like to mutually submit to one another in the spirit. And the next instructions we see are instructions for children and parents and slaves and masters. At this time, again, this is radical. Hear how much the gospel changes things. Children and slaves were considered even lesser of people than what women were in that day. So much so that if parents had a kid and they didn't want it, they could kill the baby without any repercussions. Same for masters and slaves. If a master was fed up with his slave, if a master had an angry day and took it out on his slave and the slave died, there were no consequences for the master. They were considered, children and slaves were considered little more than property. And so the fact that Paul addresses them and includes them in an equal playing field with the people in power in Christ, it's radical. It's unheard of. Children wouldn't have been considered part of the community. Slaves wouldn't have been considered an equal part of the community. So this mutual submission that comes from spirit-filled life gives value and identity to people who in a society have been looked at as little more than property. Radical. And the fact that Paul goes on, which is again radical, to address fathers' responsibilities to their children, not just to their sons, but to their children was radical too, because young girls were not educated like the young men were. So the fact that Paul calls and uses this Greek word that includes young girls in the way fathers are to instruct and raise up their children in the Lord, giving them a place in society that people didn't even count as worth educating, is radical. Spirit-filled mutual submission, that kind of living changes the world. So Paul goes on to address what that's supposed to look like. He starts with fathers. Again, the person in power. Paul addresses, unlike any other, any other culture with household codes had, he addresses the responsibilities of the person in power. And he says, fathers, even though in your day, in this culture, in Roman culture, it was considered very normal for a father to be able to do absolutely whatever he wanted to do to his children. Abuse in many texts that we see from ancient culture was actually considered a way of loving your children. If you want your child to grow up and to be the best they can be, you need to whip them regularly. Children were, were to be taken advantage of to get the best that they could. Fathers could enslave their children and sell their children to make their lives better, but here, in mutual submission and life in the spirit, Paul looks at the fathers and says, Fathers, lay down your rights and instead show your children the way of the Lord. Lay down your rights to take advantage of them. Lay down your rights to take your anger out on them. Lay down your rights to be a domineering person of power and instead use your power, use your authority to show them the way of life in the spirit. To show them a better way to live. Use your life to mutually submit to bring those children up in the Lord. 
And as Paul calls children to obey, to honor, to respect their, their parents, again, if a parent is in the Lord, just as if a husband is loving a wife in this way, there's no fear for the child in mutual submission. The child understands that the parent has their best interests, the interests of Christ at heart, that that father is tender and nurturing and loving and true and raises them in the Lord. So children, just in the way that fathers are living towards them on behalf of both parents, are encouraged to respect, to love, to submit, obey, and honor their parents because their parents are doing what is right for them in the Lord. Totally radical from the day. Only happens when both parties are mutually submitted to the Holy Spirit and to one another. And the final household codes we look at today are seen through the lens of slaves and masters. Now, as we approach this part of the passage, I want to be very clear. Paul is addressing a reality of the culture of the day. One-third of the Greco-Roman world were slaves. One-third. And those that were slaves weren't based on race. There were lots of different reasons people were enslaved. Paul is telling the people, God's people, in a culture and in a time, how to deal with the reality and live in a godly way in the face of the culture of the day. What Paul is not doing here and what the gospel and what scripture is not doing is condoning slavery. The gospel is antithetical to slavery. If you look at Galatians 3, verses 26 to 28, Paul actually says this. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For you, were, you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, there is neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one, the body of Christ, in Christ Jesus. He is calling out an equality among all persons, all classes, all genders, all nationalities, all races in the Lord. He calls for a radical treatment in the book of Philemon for a slave as a brother. So what I want us to know as we read what Paul says to slaves and to masters is that the gospel actually moves us towards abolishing slavery. And Paul's instructions that he gives here give slaves a status and an equality that they have never seen before in any culture and in any religion. We understand? Beautiful. Okay. So Paul addresses directly slaves before he goes on to masters. Slaves in this day were known for trying to do as little work as possible because masters were often cruel to them. And so Paul's words to the slaves is exactly the opposite. Paul says you may have a cruel master, you may have a, have a hard lot in life, but I want you to do is in the spirit to submit in a way that honors God. He calls them to do the work that they are given, not as little as possible, but instead of doing it for their masters, to do it for the glory of God. 
He calls them to work as hard as they can. He calls them to be diligent. He calls them to obey, not to win their favor, but to serve the Lord wholeheartedly. Again, this is radically different. This is life in the spirit. No slave would have been known for this. This would have been unheard of. Paul is saying because you have this identity as in the spirit, you're to live in mutual submission. And you're to do it in a way that honors God with every single thing that you do. And then maybe even more radically, Paul goes on to address the masters. Again, household codes did not address masters of slaves because masters of slaves could do whatever they wanted to do. There was nothing to address them about. But instead, Paul says this radical statement. He says in verse 9, Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. All of the regulations Paul just gave slaves, how they are to love, to serve their masters, to do it in a way that honors God, Paul just gave that same command to the ones that oversee them, the one whose very lives the slaves in the hands of. He says, Masters, love your slaves. Treat them with respect. Treat them the way that you would want to be treated. Brothers and sisters, do we understand how radical this spirit-filled life of mutual submission is? This would have been unheard of in that day. The gospel changes everything. It changes culture. It changes lives. And when we are filled with the spirit, as Paul has called us to be, it changes the way we live with one another in mutual submission, whether husbands and wives, children and parents, brothers and sisters, slaves and masters, bosses and workers, friends and family. The gospel, the spirit-filled life, is one that is marked by change and is marked by mutual submission to one another. And let's just be honest. This is not an easy way of living. Especially when everything in our culture says, do for you what you can, get what you can, no one left, leave anything in your wake that you need to to put yourself first, right? But the gospel of Jesus Christ calls us in the spirit to put the other first. That's what it looks like to live in the spirit. Mutual submission. And I want to be honest with you, we won't be able to do this on our own power. Have any of you ever struggled to, let's say, put what your sibling desires before what you desire? Anybody ever call shotgun? <laughs> shotgun, I got it, mine forever. Check five. Yeah, I grew up, there were four of us siblings, and it was really easy. Two of them, wonderful, are here today. It's still really easy for us to try to get what we want before thinking, okay, no, I'm going to put them before myself, and something even as silly as, you know, teenagers, okay, you can have the front seat, that's fine, right? It is not in our nature, in our old way of life, to put someone else before ourselves. This is not who we are as sinful people, but we are no longer dead in our sins. That's the whole point of Ephesians. By God's grace, he has transported us from death to life, and now we have the Spirit of God 
And it's not our old self that allows us to live in this mutual submission. It's our new self, the self that is full of the Spirit. When we were on the woman's retreat this past spring, our speaker reminded us that if we are in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit, which means we have everything we need to operate as children of God and live in mutual submission with one another. Paul writes this earlier in Ephesians. In Ephesians 1, he said, You also were included with Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, and that seal is the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. In the Holy Spirit, you have absolutely everything you need to have to be able to live a life of mutual submission. The life that Jesus Christ lived, of putting those he loved before himself. We are called to live that same way, but it's not something that we do simply by trying harder. Trying harder on our own power. If you are struggling living in mutual submission, whether it be with your wife or your husband, your friend, your boss, your coworker, I encourage you, stop trying so hard on your own and lean into the power that the Holy Spirit alone can provide in your life. Child of God, you have everything you need to live in this radical way. Start leaning into the power that the Holy Spirit has given you. And at that point, you may be thinking, that's great, Pastor Laura, but you don't know my husband. That's great, Pastor Laura, but have you met my kid? It's really hard not to exasperate them because they are a very tough one. You don't know my boss. You have no idea what it would look like for me to love him in this way. And that's true, I don't. I don't know the circumstance you're facing. But I do know that it is not our job to control how other people respond. What we do is because of what God has put in us, the Spirit not because of what is in the world around us. Paul tells us in Romans, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's our call. To live life in such a way as we put others first, that we are living at peace with everyone to the glory of God. Now this does not mean that there is never a place for Christians to have justice in the world. This doesn't mean that there's ever a place for us to stand up for ourselves in Christ and to speak truths. That doesn't mean we are, we are floor mats that we allow people to walk all over us. But it does mean that we live a life marked by the Spirit in submission to one another. And while there are many non-Christians out there, because Paul's writing today is for us as Christians in mutuality to submit to one another. There's going to be many non-Christians out there. There's probably... Christian wives in here who have Christian husband, non-Christian husbands. That doesn't mean that when we submit, we do absolutely anything the non-Christian in our life calls us to do, right? We have to be wise. Our allegiance is first to God. Our submission is first to the way of the Lord, not to a human relationship. So if, if something in a human relationship, if a boss, if a spouse, if a friend, if a parent calls you to do something that is not in line with the way of Christ, that is not the kind of submission we're talking about here today. We have to live with the wisdom of God and allow the spirit that has filled us to show us how to interact with a culture that is different from us, right? Together we submit. Those of us who are filled with the spirit submit mutually to each other. And we live in a radical way in the midst of a hostile world 
that still shows them the life we have in the Spirit with wisdom and grace. Brothers and sisters, it will be hard. We won't do it perfectly. But when we're filled with the Spirit, we live this kind of radical way in mutual submission to one another. What that's going to do, it's going to show the world that we're different, right? How many of you know many non-Christian marriages that look like this? How many of you watch regularly the world wrestle with raising children in a world that feels like it's going out of control? We know there's still slavery and injustice in the world. How many of you have bosses that don't love their employees well or serve them as they wish they would be served? When we as Christians live this way, seeking the good of the other above our own, instead of seeing people like the rest of the world who are bickering about politics, who are grabbing for power, climbing on top of one another to do it if they need to, they will look at us as we live in mutual submission in the spirit and they will see something different. They will see a hope and the truth of Jesus that this world desperately needs to see in a very dark time. So brothers and sisters, whether you do this perfectly or not, Continue to lean into the power of the Holy Spirit as you seek this life and know that God will use that to bring his glory and to bring a world in darkness to know a little bit more about who he is. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, this morning we just thank you for your radical gospel. We thank you that in a world that denies you, that rejects you, and that wants nothing to do with you, you have given us a way to live that can still show the hope and the glory of Jesus Christ. Father, we need your help. We confess to you that this is not an easy way to live, that our old selves, our sinful nature, still wrestles with this. So this morning, Father, I pray for every person at Orchard Hill Church, all of my brothers and sisters in this room, myself, and our brothers and sisters across, across the world, that you would help us to lean into the power of the Holy Spirit. Show us what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit day in and day out in such a way that we are able to live in love mutually submitting to one another, considering others better than ourselves, considering their needs and their wants. And as we do, Lord, would you use it to bring hope to the world? Would you use it to point to your glory and to make your name known? We love you and we thank you, Jesus. We need you for this, Lord. We pray for your Holy Spirit to fall on us in your name.